Lord, I pray that the words that come from my mouth might uh, make sense because they're inspired by your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, if you were with us, we launched our theme for 2019, which is Seek First, Find Hope. And you can see that um, our office staff are, are back in full swing, and Lauren's done an amazing new graphic for us, which is way better than my calibrally light font that you had to deal with for the last couple of weeks. Um, and last week, Dale uh, preached on um, 1 Corinthians, which is our new series at the start of this year, uh, which is going to help us uh, to explore this theme. And in, in this, he encouraged us to realise that to each one of us is given gifts, both practical and spiritual, which um, are to morph through the power of the Holy Spirit into something that looks more like Jesus. Today, uh, Paul edges a little bit closer to that famous passage in 1 Corinthians, the love is passage, which you have to wait till next week uh, to get to that one. Uh, but before we get there, it's important that we do some work on our bodies. Uh, the love is passage, love is faithful kind, all that sort of stuff um, is always used at weddings. And you know that when people get married, they all go on these crash course diets to look their best. So, so before we get to this passage, we need to work on our bodies so that we look our best. I am reliably informed, because I didn't listen in biology, um, that there is 206 bones in the human body, 639 muscles, and somewhere between 4 and 12 kilograms of skin. It's kind of scary. Um, along with ligaments, cartilages, vein, arteries, blood, fat, and more. Every time we hear a sound, take a step, take a breath, hundreds of different parts work together so that we might experience a single movement. Our minds and bodies working together in perfect unity as one. Even the cleverest engineers in our world today, despite what you might see in science fiction, are still struggling to come anywhere close in a mechanical form to what God has created in the human body. The human body represents one of the most complex systems in existence. And it's the most complex system in existence that Paul chooses to describe the church which some might argue is also one of the most complex <laughs> systems in existence. Um, but this comparison with a group of people to the human body is not original for Paul. In fact, in Greco-Roman um, literature and history, it had a strong tradition of comparing a group of people to the human body. But what Paul did was he gave it a revolutionary new twist. You see, previously what they'd used this comparison to do was to justify hierarchy, to support uh, the notion that workers or lower classes should obey their military, cultural and political leaders because they were like the brain and they made the hard decisions where the lower ones just made everything function. And even today, that analogy still has relevance 
we assume that a talented CEO is far more valuable than a cleaner. And that's why we seem to want to remunerate them differently. But Paul thinks differently. Rather than arguing for hierarchy and subordination, Paul uses the body to advocate for a more excellent way in the life of the church. And in this analogy, Paul identifies a body with balance, with diversity, and interdependence. The radical interdependence that Paul portrays requires radical diversity of gifts, all of them necessary for the common good. And by the end of this passage, it becomes clear that Paul is just not using it as a literary rhetorical example, but he's really pointing to participation in Christ. In Christ, the church is already the unified body, even if that unity is not always being adequately expressed. It's organic oneness is a gift of grace and a work of the Holy Spirit. The Christian community simply needs to enact and manifest what it already is. Sounds pretty simple, right? Just be who and what we are, which follows on from that great John Newton quote that Dale used last week. John Newton is one of the authors of Amazing Grace and was a slave trader in his former life. And he wrote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. In essence, it's that simple. Be who you are. Be transformed into something that looks more like Christ and work with and encourage others who are doing the same. But then someone thought it would be a great idea to form a committee. And it was like Eve giving Adam the apple over again. In my first year of theological study, I turned up to our diocese synod, which is like the parliament of the church, and I wore a handmade T-shirt On the front, it read the 11th commandment, and on the back, it read, thou shalt not committee. (laughs) It really is a work of God's grace that I was ordained in the end. Uh, It's probably better than the T-shirt that my friend wore that, that said, I found Jesus on the front, and on the back, it said he was hiding behind the couch all along. They ordained him as well. A healthy body is balanced. Last week I was at the gym and having a personal training session with my trainer and she subtly pointed out four different people in the gym who were doing different exercises. And she pointed out ways that identified that what they were doing was either going to actually be of no physical benefit to them 
or more than likely was going to cause long-term painful injury. They were out of balance and their technique was wrong. Their intentions were well-meaning. They had all the right lycra and clothes and all that sort of stuff. But their only long-term outcome, if they persisted in these ways, was personal pain. So I'm going to ask you an awkward question as we begin our back-to-school year. How have you positioned yourself in the church? Are you in interdependent balance with a clear sense of who you are as an individual? A good sense of your gifts and talents and you're using them efficiently and effectively. But you're also acutely aware of your need for connection with others and how you use their gifts and talents to support, enable, complete and complement yours. If you're not, and I'm sure every one of us at some level is saying that we're not, then not only my trainer but also St Paul would be saying that there is pain on our horizon. One of the greatest challenges in our Christian journey and our church life is how can I be who I am and stay connected to you? Well, I thank God daily for the Holy Spirit and particularly in this aspect. Paul also stresses in the letter to the Ephesians that Christian, Christian unity has not and cannot be attained by the body alone, just by us alone. It's another gift of the Holy Spirit. But we receive it and we're called to maintain it in bonds of peace. We come to God as individuals formed in a way that we can be relatively independent and relatively self-contained. But in relationship with God, we are changed. It's ironic that, um, particularly in the last few months as we've been rearranging chairs, I've been reminded a number of times that people in churches don't like change. Uh, I've been reminded of that great joke that says, how many Anglicans does it take to change a light bulb? None, because we don't believe in change. I was also told at the end of the last service that uh, how many social workers does it take to change a light bulb? One, but they have to want to change. Our identity as a follower of Jesus is in constant transformation. We should be the people who are most encouraging and enabling of change in others and of ourselves because that's the way that we're designed. Our identity is no longer solitary. We can no longer truly be known without reference to the community in which God has called us to be. We're more than just ourselves. We are, by definition, beings in relationship. We acknowledge and celebrate this 
in the sacrament of baptism. Where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and brought life to the world, we're reminded in baptism that the Spirit of God remains the source of the life and the breath of the church moving in and through us. One of our deepest human needs, though, is to belong. We want to have a place in this world. We want significance. We want to make a difference. One of the biggest laments of the the modern church is that there's no young people in church anymore. Well, particularly uh, our millennials uh, are wanting to be somewhere where they can make a difference. And perhaps our churches have become places where it's become harder to make a difference. Belonging is a gift of the Spirit. But there's tension in belonging. People belong for longer than others. For some of you, it's your first day in this church. For some of you have come from other churches, from other parts of the world. Some of you haven't been since Christmas. Some of you didn't even go at Christmas time. God forgive you. I do um, a number of funerals throughout the year, but I do a lot more funerals for people who are outside our church community than I do for those within it. Uh, I've just booked my fourth funeral for the year, and only one of them was part of our church family. So that's probably about right. About a quarter of my funerals I do uh, from those outside. And, and often the funeral director will ring me up and say, oh, Stuart, this person wants an Anglican minister because this person was a lifelong Anglican. I've been doing this for a while now, and, and I've learnt to become pleasantly surprised if lifelong Anglican means anything more than being baptised Anglican or confirmed or married in an Anglican church. Often it does, but more often than not, it's just a cultural connection. As far as 1 Corinthians is concerned, there is no such thing as belonging without participating. That might sound a little bit harsh. And and I absolutely believe that, that God is working in the hearts of those who aren't connected to any church or only occasionally connected to church. But I also believe that God connects people to church in ways that we don't always call church. But the body does not work if one part checks out for a week, a month, a year, or even a few days. Not only will its function be unfulfilled, but the rest of the body will be thrown out of balance. Belonging is not a one-sided affair. We're given the gift of belonging at baptism, but we're also signing up for the responsibility of functioning as part of that body of Christ. Belonging means participating, and every form of participation matters. One of the things that I'm not very good at, 
and I've never been very good at it, so it's not just here that I'm not good at doing it, is publicly acknowledging those people who are working tirelessly in and around the life of our church. When I am aware of it, I do intentionally try and encourage it in a more sort of personal or individual manner. But one of my reluctances to do this, and ironically I'm going to do it a little bit later in the service, um, is that I'm acutely aware that as a church leader, I'm only given small glimpses into the way that every single one of you is participating in the life of the body. I do not presume that just because you're not here one Sunday doesn't mean that you're not participating in the life of the body. For most of you, I know that you are. I'm also aware that often the most effective way of participating is the least public. But there is something that draws us together energizes us and sends us out for the purpose of participating our role that you don't get in any other way than worshipping together. One of the strengths of Paul's image of the body is that it speaks about the place of those who aren't normally noticed, that aren't normally valued. Whether you're stuck at home and you can't get to church because you're ill or you're getting old or you're in care, you are still part of the body. The newest formed baby in a congregation is a full member of the body of Christ. Anybody with any inability is still welcome and active and necessary for the body of Christ, as well as those who are the obvious generous givers and hard workers. It's not about equality. It's about wholeness. Only with all our members can the body of the church be whole. We cannot fully manifest Christ in the world without you. If we mistreat you, we are not fully manifesting Christ. And that reality has made me ask another hard question. Have we dismembered the body by who is no longer with us because of some form of conflict? Because we've been seeking first our kingdom. When you think about it, the church as an assembled body, there's no real way to sugarcoat it. We're pretty ugly. Just think about those ragtag collection of peoples that God has consistently put together throughout the generations, beginning with those dysfunctional Israelites and continuing with these dysfunctional Anglicans. There's an expression that we use on the golf course. When somebody's hit a shot that doesn't look very good, but somehow goes in the right direction and might even get close to the green, we say, 
that was ugly but effective. In God's personal training plan, God seems to be saying, the uglier, the better. There is a place and a role for every form of ugliness and dysfunction, inability and disability, because in the body of Christ, all is made possible through the gifts of the Spirit. The church is not effective because we're all so super skilled and trained and highly educated and, and super fit and healthy and all Vogue or GQ models, even though I'm sure we are. We are effective because God takes our weaknesses and allows the Holy Spirit to shine through us and takes what we would normally call ugliness and turns it into beauty and holiness. And this is a pathway to find hope. And it's a pathway that has room to grow and transform and continue to grow and transform. The natural state of church life is growth. If a church is not growing, it's not balanced. It's not healthy. We can excuse it by saying, oh, yeah, but we're becoming spiritually mature, and that's how we're growing. But I think that's just a lie that we tell ourselves to convince ourselves that we're doing okay, when in fact we're really not being effectively the body of Christ. There is more than enough people on the Gold Coast not going to church for every single church to be filled, to be overflowing. My prayer is that as the body of Christ, we might realise it is us and Christ in us that is the hope of glory. We might take that responsibility seriously. We might be looking for ways in which to serve and encourage and enable We might not think that it's just us doing the usual expected things, but often the quiet, hidden, unknown, unnoticed things. This is the more excellent way. This takes a lot of seeking, a lot of trial and error, a lot of tears and failures. But surrounded by the body of Christ, we are not alone. We're in it together and we're all learning together. If we don't fail, we don't learn. If we don't learn, we don't grow. If we don't grow, we don't show Jesus as the hope of the world. As I look forward to the year ahead, my prayer for this community is that we might grow in our expression of hope expression of love but it might be as a result of us seeking first God's plan for us and making ourselves and others aware of the power of the Holy Spirit working in us Amen Anne's going to lead us in a time of prayer